0: down to the swap with Georgie Carroll. We all know nurses have the best stories, so why don't you come have a listen? Without further ado, Indy McDowell. Indy, hi.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: So Indy, I believe you're in Portugal at the moment, is that correct? That is, yes.
1: I've been here a week now.
0: You're meant to be in Ethiopia, but you're actually in Portugal. So have you catfished me? What's going on? Why are we in Portugal <laughs> at the minute?
1: No, so I, I am normally in Ethiopia, that, that's all true. I'm actually on my way to Chad in Western Africa via Portugal. Not exactly on the way there, is it? And, but you know, <laughs> is that because you have family there or? No, no, it's part of a bigger project, um, of course, to do with linking up independent midwives across the world. So we've got an organization in Ethiopia and I am the international liaison. So I'm doing my international liaisoning at the moment. That's,
0: that's pretty cool. That that's a pretty cool title. Uh, not only, I think we should point out just in case we weren't already impressed by the title, um, that you're doing all this whilst internationally traveling around in a pandemic when no one's allowed to go anywhere. And you're also carrying your two year old with you. Is that correct?
1: Well, to be honest, he actually doesn't let me carry him anywhere. He's very much on his own at the moment. So it's more sort of chasing after a two-year-old. But yes, <laughs> that that's pretty much sums it up.
0: I would love to um, start with your adventures. In Did you class it as an adventure? What is it? Is it a vocation? Is it an adventure? How did you become an international liaison for a, non, a non-governmental a non organisation, is it? Def-
1: oh, Definitely, yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so how do you? And, and a not-for-profit organization, which, from what I've read, is to improve uh, midwifery care throughout developing countries. Is that
1: that it in a nutshell? Uh, yeah. I mean, at the moment we're very much based in Ethiopia, but I guess my role is linking up with other independent midwives around the world. So eventually, everybody together, hopefully there will be a move towards improving um, access to independent midwifery everywhere.
0: Okay, go on. Independent midwifery. I didn't know there was a choice. Yes. What does it mean? Of What's course. an independent one? What indie? the Independent Midwife? <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: It's, it's about finding midwives who are not necessarily bound by the um, sometimes fairly irrational guidelines and protocols of government bodies. So it means we're a little bit more flexible with the care we can offer. Um, it's very much about centering midwifery back with women, back in families, and helping women to take charge of the experience, the birthing experience. And sometimes, you know, you go into a hospital, you get lost in the system, you're just another face, um, and there's not always that chance. To... Not so much a face
0: in midwifery, is
1: it? Well, quite. Um, <laughs> I was yes. going to go there. And I was like, no, no, it's a bit early in the morning for that. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's kind of the move of the moment that lots of women are seeking better, holistic uh, alternative away from the scary COVID-ridden hospitals.
0: So you're you're trained in the traditional manner, but you're not held to a governing
1: body. Exactly. I mean, we are we are still. So at the moment, I'm in Ethiopia. I'm the only um, international midwife, expat midwife, and all of the rest of the team in Ethiopia are local. So they trained. They trained uh, in local hospitals, and they are all licensed by the government. So we're all legitimate uh, midwives, but oh. choosing to work outside of the government system.
0: <laughs> go go, you lot, mavericks. So I can understand why that would be important in, um, and I can understand why that would have its heart in Ethiopia as well, where yeah. it would be almost impossible. I've been to Ethiopia myself. I've been have to Addis uh-huh,
1: yeah. okay.
0: Well, before I became a nurse, I wanted to be an aid worker. Um, okay. So I went with one of those sort of Ponzi schemes run by, I, I'm going to say, the Catholic Church, uh, where they make you fundraise and then they take you out there and then you have no use to anyone. Um, okay. So I kind of, yeah,
1: classic. Yep.
0: Yes. So it wasn't as a healthcare person then. It was as a teaching English as a foreign language. And um, I'm not that great myself, but yeah, I've been to (laughs) Ethiopia and I was surprised and amazed and shocked by lots of things there. How did you find it? Well, I suppose if having, because I was 19, I was so green yeah,
1: Yeah. and
0: possibly still very much just left school having learned about the great British empire. Uh So possibly quite colonial at the time still. Where I Which was going Which would be interesting in Ethiopia
1: given that was the country that was never colonized. I know.
0: But I was mm. I was very, very, you know, when I look back, that was my mindset. I was going there um with that kind of attitude. And then yeah. also so unaware that they were in a civil war um yeah. at the time that had been raging on for decades.
1: That and was in I, the eighties or the nineties, were you there?
0: I would reckon it'd be in the nineties.
1: So that was the war with Eritrea. At that time, that's
0: it. There was a coup on at the time, and I'm not sure if I said it in the Brad Chesham interview, but I was um, I was living in a nunnery, and they one of the nuns said, "There's a there's a coup planned tomorrow," and I thought that was some kind of party. (laughs) I thought,
1: (laughs) I mean, other fashion.
0: I thought it was. I was like, "What do we wear to a coup?" And um, but I was really because I had gone over to teach English with the very basic uh, "teach English as a foreign language" skill set. And um, but I was teaching it to teachers who could already speak in, speak English. That wasn't the issue. It was how to the infrastructure of a of an education system that needed to be taught at that point.
1: I mean, still does the, the Ethiopian education system is incredible. There are so many. So I could talk about it for a very long time, but, you know, the way the students are taught in Ethiopia is about memorising this incredible mass of information and then regurgitating it. And you see that in the midwives and the nurses. So their, you know, their ability to recount a paragraph in textbooks is incredible, like word for word, incredible. But their ability to problem solve, if it deviates anywhere outside of what was written in the paragraph, leaves a little lacking.
0: And that's not what us independent midwives are about now, is it?
1: Well, I mean, that's not what any midwife is about, really.
0: Any Oh, And the other thing that I noticed in Ethiopia was, I suppose I'd been bombarded bond- with uh, very much the rural images and the live aid images. So when I went to Addis Ababa and it was this huge city, that wasn't what I expected either. But you're not in the city, are you? You're, you're in Arat, I think which is
1: I am in Garagi zone. So Garagi zone uh, is southwest south central west Ethiopia. Um it's about 6 hours away from Addis. Yes, out in out in the rural lands. But up on a mountain so, top. So how long have you been, how long have you been there? I first went out in 2016. So 5 years. I
0: feel like I could listen to every story you ever tell about this. So where do you want to start? Like it's it's not like I could come up with some questions. It's not something I've got experience of. So you've got anything from when you when you first get there, what you're feeling. You've obviously had a baby in that time, you know. Yes. Talk to me. How do you
1: how do you tell this at
0: dinner parties?
1: <laughs> do you know? Actually, I I well with COVID, there are no such thing as dinner parties anymore. So. I I try also not to talk too much about me because I'm so okay. uninteresting compared to all of the midwives who I work with to be honest.
0: Do that then. And if I that's do. if that's how you you see this if that's your perspective of it. So
1: Yeah. What- it is. I guess it is. You know, for lots of for lots of midwives and nurses they always dream of going and working abroad for a little bit, and particularly in rural Africa because it's got such a hold over us for some reason. And um, and everything you kind of hope it's going to be uh, and worry that it's going to be it does both way more than you could ever imagine um, but always it comes back to the incredible incredible people who are there and i have been so so lucky i started off in a hospital and like you i spent a year living with catholic missionary nuns Um which in itself is a whole podcast episode let me tell you isn't um, it oh god anyway <laughs> yeah um I remember
0: from the, the two 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 zoning memories of the nuns was um one was that they loved watching non films okay so we did we did watch nuns on the run and sister act um, <laughs> and I loved that that they loved those films and the other one the, there was a pregnant nun which well, surprised that's me that's unexpected isn't, isn't it? it the lord it's works in mysterious ways Quite. um so, so go on, you're living in this nunnery <laughs>
1: My nuns didn't, they didn't watch films. We didn't often have internet. So that kind of puts a dampener, or, or electricity even. So that puts a dampener on watching films. So they're, they're a Catholic missionary order who set up a hospital. And they've been in Ethiopia for 50-something years. And individually, two of them have actually literally been there for 50-something years. Um, so they're incredible. Mm. And they have, you know, they've been in Ethiopia through it all, through the derg, when there was the horrible, horrible um, famine as well, the live aid famine. Um, they've seen it all. They've done it all. They are, They're incredible. So born in Ethiopia? No, 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 no. German, uh, Indian, from all over. Okay, yeah. They just happened to have been in Ethiopia for a very long time. Um, And they were incredible. And one, the medical director of the hospital was also a nun. So I spent a lot of my time with her. And she was just so generous and so encouraging, but also very, very like, I think it's part of how they are taught to view the world. But it was kind of like, any of the difficult things that we came up against, and we came up against a lot, you had to kind of deal with the fallout yourself. So you had to deal with your own feelings um, and your own sadness or grief or anger or whatever it was that you were feeling because of the situation. You had to process that yourself. It wasn't on anyone else, it was on you. So there wasn't very much hand holding, which is kind of what I'd expected from from nuns, but not at all. It was, it was, you know, suck it up and get on with it.
0: That is not what you would expect from nuns. No, and you're saying no. it's
1: Yeah. So you had to, what were some of the, what were some of the
0: things you had to work through? What What were the?
1: Oh, it was, you know, part of, part of very rural, very poor um, Ethiopia, particularly when you're dealing with obstetrics, is women and babies die often. It's not uncommon in any way. And when it's, you know, when they come to the hospital that you're working in, you feel this moral, clinical obligation towards these women to do everything you can and then you do everything you can and they die anyway. And that's always very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um and that's yes. where, you know, if you I think in a way, if we'd had if I'd had somebody there going, oh it's okay, you know, here, have a cry, hold my hands, you're gonna be okay, da, da 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 it almost becomes a bit overwhelming. But if you kind of give them the chance to get on with it yourself and learn how to deal, it's all about reflective practice. You see, they told us this in university and we mocked them. But in reality, there's, there's something to it. Um, You'd have a fair bit to reflect on. I mean, if
0: you don't even have electricity,
1: not that electricity no. is,
0: mind you, I've got a normal <laughs> midwifery. But well, I, can, I can imagine that a lot of midwifery yeah. in there is useful. Um, electricity,
1: yeah, it, has it, it definitely has its value. Um, no, it was, it's just there's no uh, higher level of care available. So there's no there's very minimal drugs, no intensive care. Um, no blood banking system, for example. So when things go wrong, they go wrong fast. Oh, go wrong cool. So that was, that was. I spent my first year and a half there. And whilst I was there, um, I was also under the tutelage of an amazing midwife called Atsenu. Um, now she is the one I could talk about forever. So she was the first midwife to be trained in the area. Um, before that, it was the traditional midwives who were attending lots of deliveries or nurses who'd happened to see a few. So she was the first properly trained midwife and for many, many years, the only properly trained midwife. So she is this like incredible font of knowledge and she really has seen it all and done it all. She knows everything. Um, And she took me under her wing and with her, I, I got the chance to do, you know, everything we'd learned about in university, manage all the emergencies, all the various weird and wonderful things that babies and mums can do. And then after, My post actually in the hospital was helping to establish the neonatal unit. So after we'd built that and trained up some staff, they were able to take over. I was at a bit of a loose end. So I was working as a midwife then, just a straight up midwife with that city a lot of the time. Um, And we both kind of thought, this hospital is amazing. You know, it saves lives. But that's kind of the bare minimum of what it does. So there was something like 5,000 deliveries a year and two midwives on shift. So every day you're seeing a lot of deliveries, but it's women come in on the backs, deliver, go off again. And we didn't like that. Yeah. So we thought, right, we're going to break away and open a birth centre where we can do it our way. And so we did that. We both left our positions at the hospital. Um, Who looked after um, the people having the babies then? Oh, there are other midwives. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Other midwives. Um, All right. And then <laughs> and we set up our birth centre. And so we've been doing that now for almost three years. So if I'm living in that,
0: is it a village or a town? If I'm living in that town, if there's 5,000 babies, I'm hoping it's a town rather than a village. Um, No, no,
1: it's it's definitely... uh, Who decides whether I go to the birthing centre? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who decides if I go to see you at the birthing centre or just have it in the hospital? And does many people still have them at home?
1: No, home births are illegal in Ethiopia which like as a British midwife really got my back up initially. What? But actually, yeah, no, 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 wait. Because actually, given the circumstances of what the homes are like, I completely understand. I would not recommend having a baby at home in Ethiopia. You've also got the fact that the distance... Illegal's a bit harsh, isn't it? What if you can't get out? The people oh, always well, have in the toilet. that's toilets. obviously fine. You know, we've, we've delivered several <laughs> babies in people's homes. Like emergency, you know, birth is birth. If it's going to happen, there's only so much you can do about it. You can't yes. plan to have a home birth. That's what I should say.
0: Oh, when you use the word plan. Do, pe- do Ethiopian yeah. women have birthing plans? Is it as um, sort of... Se- no. Is each birth as no, 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 no. well thought out and celebrated as, as, it, as they tend <laughs> to be in the Western world?
1: <laughs> no, it's very different. So I think this is like... And this is something I really notice as well. But essentially, women, they don't even really announce a pregnancy. You just wait until the bump is big enough for everyone to realize you're actually pregnant rather than you've just had, you know, a really big meal. And Care. then, you know, the birth itself, I don't know. It, it's very different. It's very, very practical. Well, can I ask? Don't I don't know. I can can I ask
0: the sort of age of the women that are that are pregnant? Is it the full range, you know, like from all the way through a woman's menstrual life time? Is is that the time that women will be having babies or do people tend to wait for a certain time?
1: No, 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 no. So like in Ethiopia, nobody knows their age. Your age is not particularly important. So nobody actually knows how old they are. So if you see statistics from the Ethiopian government that ever include ages, it's all nonsense because nobody knows. But anyway, (laughs) um, I can't say that. just Let's just gloss over that. But women have babies from quite young until they can't physiologically have babies anymore and normally women have sort of six seven babies that's quite normal six or seven babies
0: yeah all right you went you went with the one so far do you mind if we talk about that i'm so intrigued i know, <laughs> no I know you said you didn't really want to talk about you but um you you had a baby in all of this
1: i did yes two years ago two and a bit years ago you,
0: well yeah we know how old yeah. that one is
1: um <laughs> So did you
0: follow that format of just waiting until you showed or would you think you were way more (laughs) relaxed or natural about it than you would have been had you not seen it?
1: So I did very much follow that. I didn't tell anybody that I was having a baby, anybody, um, until he was two days old. What? Oh, please, (laughs) please talk through that. Yeah. So it was an email that went back to the UK to my parents saying, this is your grandson. It was my father's birthday. He was born a few days before my father's birthday. So it was a, an email saying, happy birthday. P.S. This is Raphael. This is my son. Oh, my goodness. Ah,
0: <laughs> oh, oh, that would make me cry if I saw it on YouTube. And I'm sure no grandparent does anything but be overjoyed when they see a grandchild is no, that absolutely. is that how it happened exactly.
1: absolutely entirely entirely it was you know i'm very close to my parents um they've always been my biggest champions i've got nothing but you know love and good things to say about them but you know ethiopia had just come through 2018 which was this huge state of emergency um lots of fighting lots of deaths the american american tourists were killed and mm-hmm. in any case you know we're so rural they knew full well how difficult um childbirth could be in Ethiopia I knew they would worry uh, I didn't want I didn't want them to worry you know it was me in some strange way trying to protect everybody from from being afraid for me and also I think if they had turned around and said we're really not happy with this please come back to the UK you know they'd never tell me to do anything but if they asked me I would find it very difficult to say no and I knew in my heart I wanted to have my baby in Ethiopia
0: that's an incredible story <laughs>
1: I love it, and
0: and and um, did did um, sorry um, Adseto did
1: did Adseto Ad deliver did the baby? Did were you? She did. Yes, hmm? yeah. she was. Yes, oh. she was my midwife. Uh, I had the baby at the clinic. Um, she yeah, she was there through every stage, and then afterwards, I had a huge bleed. I had to go to the hospital and have emergency surgery. So it all went tits up as it always does. Um, but. It was still the right decision. I still stand by it being the right decision.
0: Oh, yeah. You are proof of the product you're pushing, really, aren't you? <laughs> the, um, you know.
1: Well, exactly, <laughs> that, you know.
0: that's so incredible. Yeah. And then there's something, isn't there, that has pushed you to, to live this differently to how you were? Because you, you were actually Australian to begin with.
1: Never Australian, only living in Australia. I lived in, I spent, my my okay. parents, their work took us all over the place. So for five years, I was in Sydney. Yeah. My sort of formative teenage years, I was in Sydney. Yeah. And then yes. various other places. And then the UK. So guess, uh, no. And then, where did we go then? I can't even remember, you know. Off somewhere else.
0: <laughs> but you touched on it a bit that you were, uh, you'd worked in uh, the health system in a Western country and had being uh, a little bit disillusioned by the restrictions and the, the lack of autonomy. and Yeah. Well, uh, do you know,
1: I actually, I never wanted to be a midwife. I, I never intended to be a midwife. It was never part of the plan. Um, I did anthropology first. Okay. So that's study of
0: society. Yeah.
1: so Yeah. Culture, people, study of people. So after I finished that degree, I went out to Central Asia, to Kyrgyzstan to work with the UN, which was amazing, incredible. But it was being there that kind of made me realize that lots of these big organizations are putting into place policies that don't necessarily work on the ground because the people writing them had no practical understanding of what it was like. So my thinking was, right, if we're ever gonna make any change globally to, because the maternal and neonatal morbidity and mortality statistics have dropped hugely over the last couple of decades, but now they've kind of plateaued. And if we're looking at ways to mm. continue to improve women's health, it needs to be led by people who really understand what's going on. Um, and from my fairly limited, granted experience, the policies and various things that are being written were being written by people sitting behind desks, not by people, you know at the bedside. So I was like, yeah. right, I'm going to get to the bedside. I'm going to train as a midwife, understand what's going on and see if that makes a difference. And then got caught up in being a midwife. <laughs> and five years later, I'm still a
0: midwife. <laughs> and you can see that for the foreseeable future as well, I should imagine. It'd be very hard to change, even if you wanted to with a two-year-old and all the international <laughs> travel. But this, that's where your heart is, is With these, helping these women um, have... Uh, healthier babies and easier births.
1: I think think definitely now that's shifted a little bit. So obviously, you know, it's being there for a birth is magical. There's just, there's no other way to put it. Mm. It is incredible experience. But what I find more rewarding or interesting now is the role that midwives can have more broadly. So I think we've spent so long being kind of shunted aside and just dealing with birth, which is incredible if you think about literally everyone is born. So how is this not, how are midwives not the most respected profession in the whole world? Not that I'm not biased at all, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so I think now mm. I want to look, I, certainly that's what we've been trying to do um, with the midwives as part of the organization in Ethiopia is look at ways of encouraging midwives to accept that they can be so much more than, quote unquote, just a midwife. So they can be the community leaders. They can start to look at um, public health projects and and all sorts of things like vaccinations, family planning, all of this falls under the remit of midwifery. And instead of concentrating on purely clinical, the, the, the scope for midwives to really take positions in leadership uh, is, is there and they just need to be shown a way of helping it to become reality, so that's kind of where I think I'm interested in now.
0: You've combined the anthropology and the making of the babies, the catching exactly. of the babies. I love it. I, you are—you <laughs> um, will hate to hear this about yourself, but you are incredibly impressive as a
1: person. <laughs> Very kind, incredibly principled, had help. And
0: an incredibly different thinker, which I suppose <laughs> comes from living in all these different places. Yeah, and it's you know, off to Chad are... next, I believe. Is
1: that correct? Yes, that is the plan. Off to Chad for some teaching. And again, this to is do part of developing... to do the same thing. Uh, th- this is actually more specific. Well, actually, kind of yes and no. So it's the um. There's an organisation, the Perinatal Rescue Network, that trains midwives in um, uh, resuscitation programmes. So babies, resuscitating babies at birth. And I guess that is the same thing. It's about upskilling midwives, but it's definitely more clinical rather than, you know, the esoteric other. Okay, there's, we're going to have to wrap this up. I, I could
0: speak to you forever. We're going to have to wrap this up very shortly. There's two okay. things that are going to ping in my inbox after this. Yeah. One will be, is there any way in which people can help or is it something that people donate to? Is there any place that you want people to go to learn more about you this, this organization
1: yes yeah they do so we because of how difficult the roads are you know we, we don't have paved roads or anything like that and um, we are at the moment trying to fundraise for an ambulance so we lost we lost a patient we lost two patients over the last two years that we wouldn't have done had we had an ambulance so at the moment we transfer in a tuk-tuk and in the rainy season we don't even do that we have to walk um so as you can imagine, walking with a bleeding baby, or a bleeding mother, or a baby who can't breathe is is not easy.
0: I wasn't uh, so bleeding; uh, I just couldn't walk when I was in labour. So yeah, we,
1: yeah. Where can See we? Where can know. we send money? Where do we,
0: uh, give us we a have, website
1: to go to? Or? <laughs> we have a just giving page. Um, I think it's just called the midwives ambulance, and we have. Oh,
0: I know where you can find these people. You go on Indie Midwife. If you've got Instagram, you go on Indie Midwife. I N D I E exactly. Midwife. And then go on the Linktree link at the top, and then you can find. And I'm going to be going there donating after. The second one is definitely midwives who want to get involved in this type of growth and lifestyle. Where where where, where do you start?
1: Uh, so this is a, we get a lot of messages um, from midwives saying, "Can they come and stay with us and volunteer with us?" And it's something we'd love to say yes to. But you know, I live with that and her family. So there are eight of us in this house uh, and we just don't have room for anyone else at the moment. Um, So that's why we're having to say no. And also there's no English spoken. So, (laughs) unless whoever's volunteering.
0: Um, So not necessarily come out there, but to be part of uh, the independent midwife movement, I would suppose you would call it?
1: Midwives who are interested, I mean, it depends where you are, I guess, a little. So for those in the UK, there are the independent midwives in the UK. There's so many organisations all over the world um, yeah. that give a chance to get involved. But it is, you know, I think even if you're a midwife working in a hospital, you can still adhere to the principles of midwifery. It's just a matter of remembering them and not getting lost in the system. Oh, Thank
0: you so much for talking to us today,
1: Indy. Uh, good
0: luck with whatever you do next. It's going to be incredible, whatever you do. And, um changing the world. one <laughs> baby at a time.
1: He is hoping. <laughs> Thanks so
0: much for talking today, indy You've been listening to the swab with Georgie Carroll. That's me podcast. But I also have live comedy shows too. And I've written a book called Off The Charts. If you want to know more about those things, please hit me up on my socials. I've got a Facebook called Georgie Carroll and I've got an Insta called Nurse Georgie Carroll. I've got a website called georgiecarroll.com. Also, if you've got anybody that you think would be a great guest on The Swab, I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. And that's all for today from The Swab.